Sometimes human touch can make the difference between life and hope and despair and death. Sometimes human touch can make the difference between life and hope and despair and death. It was Sunday, October the 1st, 2017, about a year and a half ago, that there was a horrific shooting in Las Vegas, Nevada, at what was called the Route 91 Concert Festival. October the 1st, 2017, a crazed gunman killed 58 people and critically wounded 500 others in this horrific shooting that took place at the Route 91 Concert Festival. But out of that horrific shooting comes stories of heroism, stories of unselfishness. For example, there was a lady from Canada by the name of Jan Lamborn who was attending the Route 91 Concert Festival and she took on a bullet that entered her stomach and exited from her pelvis. She began to bleed out and quite frankly began to go into shock and disbelief. But a young man, a stranger by the name of Justin Uhart, this young man ran to her aid and pulled her to safety and he began to apply pressure to her wound and he promised that he would hold her hand for the entire incident. This young bartender by the name of Justin Uhart eventually held her hand while the paramedics came. He rode with her in the ambulance all the way to the hospital and even as she was going into surgery, Justin Uhart, this total stranger, was holding the hand of Jan Lamborn, this Canadian lady who had been attending the concert. She told reporters afterwards, she said, if it wasn't for the human touch of this young man that I did not know, I'm sure that I would have gone into hysteria and shock and possibly even died. The last slide that you'll see here in this series of slides is a picture of Justin Uhart holding the hand of Jan Lamborn as she is coming out of recovery. And of course, they are great friends even to this day. Sometimes human touch can make the difference between life and hope and despair and death. Never underestimate the power of human touch. A man by the name of Richard Heslin who for many years was a professor of psychology at Purdue University in Indiana, studied the power of human touch. And as you look at your message notes, you'll see that Heslin comes up with what he calls five levels of human touch. He says that first level is the functional professional touch. This is the kind of touch that you experience when you go to the hairdresser, you go to your barber, you maybe go to a tailor to have your clothes fitted for you. Heslin says the second level of touch is the social polite touch. This is the kind of touch that coworkers have when they shake hands and you pat someone on the back. It's a very low level of human touch among coworkers. Heslin says the third kind of human touch is the friendship and warmth. This is extended to family members and close associates. It's the kind of touch that we might experience here at church on a Sunday morning. Heslin says the fourth level of human touch is love and intimacy. This is the kind of touch between family members, 
friends that you love very, very much. And then that fifth level of human touch, according to Richard Heslin, is the deep intimacy touch. And that's the touch that is reserved for people in a marriage relationship. And Heslin did extensive research in the area of human touch and says we learn to touch people in different ways based upon culture, social setting, and the circumstances in which we were raised. In the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, we're going to look this morning at a narrative where there was a lady who approached the Lord Jesus Christ that needed a touch from the Savior that she could be physically as well as spiritually made whole. Would you look in your Bible this morning and take your message notes that are printed right there in the middle of your program this morning. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. The Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 25, and then we'll read through verse 34. And the message this morning is simply entitled, When You're Desperate for a Touch, from Jesus, when you need a touch from the Master. Would you stand one last time this morning as we stand in honor of reading God's Word, Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, She only grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Some of your older translations will refer to the hem of his garment. Because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked the question, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked the question, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet And trembling with fear, literally in the language of the New Testament, shaking like a leaf. And she told him the whole truth. And verse 34 says, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated at this time. Let's talk for a few moments about when you need a touch from the master. The gospel writer Mark shares with us an account in the scripture that we commonly refer to as the woman with the issue of blood. Evidently, this was a very powerful story among the New Testament writers because it's not only recorded here in the gospel of Mark, it's also in the gospels of Matthew and also the gospel of Luke. What's very interesting about this particular section of Scripture is that the context actually begins about three verses prior in Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Mark begins by telling one particular story where Jairus, a Jewish synagogue leader, comes to the Lord Jesus. 
And he says, Jesus, I have a daughter who is ill. She is sick even to the point of death, and I need you to come to my house. And so Mark begins recounting this story with Jairus, the synagogue leader, Jesus being there probably in a Capernaum village, walking down these crowded streets, and on the way to Jairus' home, this woman with the issue of blood, this particular story takes place. It's kind of like Mark chases a rabbit. I think he would have been a good Baptist preacher because Baptist preachers like to chase rabbits. So he begins telling the story about Jairus, and all of a sudden, we've got this story of the woman with the issue of blood. He tells this story in verses 25 through 34, and then it's like he says, oh, by the way, I was telling you the other story about Jairus, and then in verse 35, he picks up and talks about how Christ went to the home of this synagogue leader and healed his daughter. But sandwiched in between, we have this particular narrative of the story of the woman with the issue of blood. There are many classical paintings of this scene, but I think one of the better paintings about the woman with the issue of blood is this particular painting by an artist by the name of Stephen Gertson. And I think Gertson really captures the moment when this pale, emaciated woman crawls to the crowd, and you can look into her face, and she grabs the prayer shawl that Jesus Christ is wearing, and she has a desperate look on her face as she risks everything to touch the master. There have always been people around Jesus, touching him in different ways, both then and now. There's always been a crowd around Jesus, a crowd of people touching him in various ways, both then and now. Some people wanted to touch Jesus out of curiosity. They wanted to get up close to the rabbi to see what the fuss was all about. And then there were those who touched him inadvertently. They did not intend to touch him. They just accidentally brushed up against him. And even today, there are those, maybe those of you in this service today, who are curious about Jesus, and there are some of you that brush up against him unintentionally, inadvertently, through your church attendance, through ritual, and through religion, but you, in reality, have had no real contact with the Master. Jesus touches those who are like this lady, who have a desperation to say that I must receive a touch from the master or I will perish and I will die. You'll notice that this touch is totally different than one that is curious or one that is inadvertent. It is a touch of certainty. If I can encounter the risen Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, she says to herself, I can be made whole and I can be rescued. I believe this narrative teaches us some very important principles this morning. And so, if you would, take your writing instrument and let's look at some principles of Scripture here from Mark chapter 5 when you need a touch from Jesus. And here's the first principle I would call your attention to this morning. You can come to Jesus Christ with your most helpless, you could even use the word hopeless, situation. You can come to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as a teenager, as a college student, as an adult today, with your most helpless and your most hopeless situation. 
The good news that I bring to you this morning at this 9 o'clock service is that Jesus Christ can rescue you from long-term, aggravated, unique difficulties. It may be guilt from the past. It may be an emotional disruption. It may be a moral failure in your life where it seems like your own personal prison because of those issues' duration in your life. Long-term perpetual problems have a numbing effect. Let me say that once again. Long-term perpetual problems have a numbing effect. They almost desensitize us into thinking that we can ever be any different. Perhaps this is why the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, included this story in their writings about the lady with the issue of blood. Verse 25 tells us that she had endured this malady for how many years? 12 years. That's at the very minimum 4,380 days. 12 years, that's 48 seasons of summer and spring and fall and winter. 48 seasons had come and gone, and yet this lady remained in the same condition. And did you notice the scripture doesn't tell us if this particular blood disorder, was it intermittent or was it continual? By being intermittent, that means that maybe it would kind of go away for a little while and then it would come back again. It would go away for a little while and then it would come back again. But you got to believe this lady is on a spiritual roller coaster wondering, am I really getting better or am I going back to the same old thing? If this blood flow were continual, then she was on a downward spiral of hope, wondering if she would ever get better, and it did not seem that anything would change in her situation. Look at verse 26. The Bible says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, many physicians. She spent all that she had, and yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I really like reading Luke's account of this particular narrative of the lady with the issue of blood. You remember from your study that Luke was a physician by trade. Luke was a doctor. We call him Dr. Luke. And he says in his account, she suffered many things, but no one could heal her. It's almost as if Dr. Luke is defending those in the medical profession to say, look, we're not all a bunch of quacks. We all tried to help this lady, but her condition was so difficult, no one could help her. And so this lady had exhausted herself. She had exhausted herself financially. Look at verse 26. She spent all that she had. She had exhausted herself emotionally and physically, and she had tried everything to get better, but only grew worse. There's a great classic book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, by an old theologian by the name of Alfred Edersheim. And Alfred Edersheim in that book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, says it was the custom of that day that there were superstitious treatments for a lady who had this particular malady. Edersheim says you could take the burnt ashes from an ostrich egg and you could wrap it in a linen pouch and you could wear that pouch around your neck and it would supposedly help this blood disorder. Other cures of this blood disorder would involve taking barley corn from the dung of a donkey. Yes, barley corn from the dung of a donkey and carrying it around in a cloth sack. 
Now, I know we kind of maybe laugh at that, but listen, when you have chronic pain, you have a chronic disease, think about it, you will resort to anything just to get relief. And the scripture says instead of getting better, she only grew worse. This hopeless situation seemed to only degenerate. Church, can you identify with this woman this morning? Have you faced a crisis in your life, maybe physically, emotionally, to when you have gone from counselor to doctor, to the psychiatrist, and you've gone to the clinic, you've gone to the hospital, you've come to see the pastor, you've gone to the psychologist, you've gone to a seminar, you've gone to a convention, you've gone to a book, you've taken all the medication that you can take, seeking to get better, and sometimes you even feel worse. And one of the things that's really interesting, on top of all these other things that were taking place, she suffered physically and financially if she happened to be Jewish. And notice the text doesn't tell us if she was Jew or Gentile. But for the sake of argument, if she happened to be Jewish, she suffered socially. Her blood disorder caused her to be a social outcast and to be someone who was religiously impure. Because according to the Old Testament law, in Leviticus chapter 15, any bed, any chair, any person that she touched would be ceremonially unclean according to Jewish custom. As a matter of fact, this lady was not even supposed to be in the crowd of people. And so she was a social leper in many ways. And so she was coming to the Lord Jesus Christ with what seemed to be a hopeless and a helpless situation. But there's a second principle of scripture I want you to see this morning. Casual contact with Jesus Christ is not the same thing as a desperate reach of faith. Casual contact with the Savior, it is not the same thing as a desperate reach of faith. As a matter of fact, in verses 27 and 28, the scripture says, when she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, older translations say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Now I want you to picture in your mind this scene. Jairus, that Jewish synagogue leader, is leading Jesus through the narrow streets of a Capernaum village, and people are pressing in on each side. Verse 24 basically says the people were so tight through those little narrow streets, they were almost suffocating the Lord Jesus, pushing and shoving around Christ on that day. People wanted to see the miracle worker. And in the midst of this mob where everyone was pushing and shoving to get closer to Jesus, there was this one desperate woman with the issue of blood, and she quietly slips up behind, or maybe she goes under. She has to go around people. And although her faith may have been mixed and flawed and imperfect, we would even say that her faith was even superstitious. She says to herself, if I can just touch one of the tassels on his prayer garment, I can be made whole. And notice, she didn't really need Jesus to touch her. She just needed to touch him. In desperation, she was willing to reach out in faith. 
the prayer shawl, the, the garment that Christ was wearing on that particular day. It had four finger-long tassels that hang down. The tassels were made with white thread and they were laced with blue. And she may have been superstitious to think that that tassel was charged with dynamic healing power. Because we read that and it's quite weird to us because in Western society, we don't believe that inanimate objects carry spiritual power. Unless you're watching late night television with evangelists that say, hey, I've got a prayer cloth. I've got some holy water from the Holy Land. I've got some uh, olive oil from Israel. And if you'll buy this for a pledge of $100, you can put this on your ache or you can put it on your pain and you will be healed. But generally speaking, we don't believe inanimate objects carry spiritual power. And even though this woman's faith may have been flawed and imperfect, and we would even say in Western culture it was superstitious, she still believed that she could be healed nonetheless. And in verse 27 where it says she came up behind him and she touched his cloak, the word in the language of the New Testament doesn't mean she lightly tugged on his cloak. It means she grabbed on with all of her might. She grabbed on to those tassels on that prayer garment like a drowning person grabs onto a life jacket. She had suffered for 12 years and in her mind, this is her last shot to be made well. She says in verse 28, if I can just touch his garments, I can be made whole. Can't you almost hear in your mind some of her close friends some of her family members, when she says, I'm going to go seek out the master, they say, honey, why don't you just stay at home? No itinerant rabbi from Nazareth is going to be able to heal you. Why don't you just stay home? She's got a naysayer in her family that says, oh, honey, you're going to be so embarrassed. What if you get out there in the crowd and that blood starts acting up? Oh, aren't you going to be so embarrassed out in that crowd? And then another naysayer says, you've suffered for 12 years. Just thank God that you're still alive. Why don't you just stay home? At least you're alive. And despite the naysayers, she said, listen, I'm going to reach out in desperate faith. And an amazing thing happened. Her faith was rewarded. Look at verse 29. The Bible says immediately, and you'll notice in your notes that that word immediately is used 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is known as the disciple, the apostle of immediacy. And he says immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She felt in her body, the Bible says she sensed in her spirit. It means there was an abiding, continual, lasting feeling that something profound had taken place inside her body. And it's because Jesus responds to desperate faith. He knew spiritual energy, power, dynamic force had left his body. Look at verse 30. Immediately, there's that word again, Christ recognizing in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around and he asked the question to the crowd, who touched my clothes? Who touched my garments? Bible scholars have asked the question, was this a voluntary? Was it an involuntary miracle? What do you mean by that, Tim? 
If it's a voluntary miracle, Jesus consciously, supernaturally knew the woman. He knew her by name. He knew her situation. If it's a voluntary miracle. Some scholars say it was an involuntary miracle. He didn't know her. He didn't know her situation. And I say which miracle you subscribe to this morning depends on your understanding of what we call the humanity and the, and the divinity of Jesus Christ, how he can be both God and both man at the same time and how all of these things are mixed with one another. But I say whatever miracle you subscribe to, whether it's involuntary or voluntary, isn't it incredible that our Savior Jesus Christ has such a capacity to heal and make you whole that by merely Touching him, saving power flows out of his body. That's the kind of savior we worship today. That he is so filled with grace and power, even touching the hem of his garment, we can be rescued and made whole. This is the distinction between touches. A crowd was suffocating him. They were all packed in like sardines. And he asked the question, who touched me? In other words, someone had moved from the curious and the inadvertent touch to a touch of desperation that sent dynamic Holy Ghost power from his body. He said, who touched me? Verse 31, the disciples are scratching their head and they said, Lord, you see the crowd pressing in around you and you ask the crazy question, who touched me? In other words, dozens of people were touching Jesus with what I call elbows of curiosity. But there was only one person in the crowd who reached out with fingers of faith. And Jesus Christ recognized the difference in the touches. Casual contact with Jesus. Listen to me, church. Casual contact with our Lord is not the same as a desperate reach of faith. But I want you to notice a third thing this morning. There is a personal cost to Jesus in every spiritual transaction. Verse 30 says, recognizing in himself that power had gone forth from him. In the language of the New Testament, it reads, having known in himself that out of him power had gone forth. He asked the question to the disciples, who touched me? There were dozens of people crowding around the Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world did he know that someone had touched him in faith. Well, in Luke's account of this narrative, he told Peter that uh, he felt power go out of his body. He felt Holy Ghost power flow out of his body. And it reminds us that when Jesus Christ performed a miracle, power went out of him. There was a personal cost to Jesus in every spiritual transaction. 20 years ago, in the year 1999, there was a movie that came out with Tom Hanks called The Green Mile. And I bet a lot of you saw this movie. Tom Hanks plays a bodyguard on death row. And one of the main characters is a guy on death row portrayed by Michael Duncan. This guy is a huge bodybuilder-looking guy. And in the movie The Green Mile, Tom Hanks' character, remember he's a a, a uh, correctional officer, a guard, he's got a horrific bladder infection that will not go away. But Michael Duncan, the big bodybuilder guy, he has the ability to heal people. And he tells Tom Hanks, he says, boss, put your hands through the bars. And there's a very, very moving scene where Tom Hanks 
puts his hands through the bars, and Michael Duncan's character, who has the ability to heal, takes Tom Hanks' hands, and he removes that bladder infection, and the prisoner takes that illness upon himself. But when he takes Tom Hanks' illness, and Tom Hanks is healed as the bodyguard, the big bodybuilder prisoner says, boss, I gotta sit down. I'm spent. I've gotta sit down and I'm spent. And as he does this, a large swarm of insects come out of his mouth, signifying that he has taken that illness from the bodyguard into his own body and he regurgitates it into a dark swarm of insects. Now I know this story is fictitious. This movie is fiction. But when you look at this movie, and you see that scene, you cannot help but think of how our Lord Jesus Christ took our sins and our sorrows upon himself and made them his very own. But Christ did not breathe out our sins where they look like a swarm of insects. He took our sins and our sorrows into his body and he went all the way to the cross for our sins and our sorrows. And aren't you thankful for that sacrifice on the cross this morning? There's a personal cost to Jesus in every spiritual transaction. He felt the power of God leave his body when this woman touched him. There's one last principle I want you to see this morning. Jesus asked us to openly confess him before other people. Jesus will ask us to confess him before other people. When Jesus asked the question, who touched me, I don't really think he was fishing for information. I think he realized this woman had touched him and had been healed. He wanted to give her the opportunity to publicly, publicly declare what had happened to her. And, and what I read in the scripture about this sweet, timid lady, it would seem that she would have been happy to just kind of slip away in the crowd. She would have been happy to go home with her secret healing and be on her merry way. But Jesus intended for this touch to be publicly acknowledged. Look at verse 32. Still, he kept looking around to see the woman who had done it. Verse 33, and the woman, though she was afraid and trembling, literally shaking like a leaf, aware of what had happened to her, she came and she fell down before the Lord Jesus and she told him, the whole truth. In other words, she gave her testimony of how Jesus Christ, at that moment of healing, had changed her life. And I want you to look at these powerful words of what he told this dear lady who had reached out in desperation. He says in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In verse 34, notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, congratulations, I'm glad you got a miracle, now go on your merry way. No, he said something much more important. He says, daughter, in verse 34, look at that word, daughter. Best I can tell, it's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus speaks to one lady and calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. By referring to her, to her as daughter, he was acknowledging that she was now a part of the family of God. When Jesus told this lady, your faith has healed you, he used a word that is not only used 
for physical healing, but watch this. It's a word also for spiritual healing. As it is with our Lord Jesus Christ, this wasn't just a healing encounter, it was a saving encounter. She came to Christ full of sin and sickness, and she walked away not only healed of her sickness, but most importantly, she had been forgiven of her sins. Folks, I want you to know there's one thing that all of us have in common in this 9 o'clock service today. One thing we all have in common. All of us need a touch from Jesus. All of us need a touch from the Master. Now, we need to be touched in different ways because we have different needs, different sins, different things that are weighing us down this morning. But the thing that we all have in common, regardless of where you live, what your education level is, what your status in this life is, we all need a touch from the Master. And so here's the question. Won't you come and let us pray for you this morning? Won't you come maybe to the altar and to the front and bring your needs to Jesus? Won't you reach out in faith and take his hand and let him save you and make you whole? Would you pray with me this morning? Dear God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us, Father, to take off our mask and to take away any pretense and just to stand before you today saying, Lord, I need a touch from you. I need a touch spiritually. I need a touch relationally. I need a a touch financially. Maybe there's a physical thing, Lord, that I've got going on that nobody else knows about. But Lord, I need a touch from the Master. So Lord, would you reach down and help me, Lord, to reach out to you this morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Mark's going to be here at the front to pray with you. It may be that you've got something going on in your life that can't really be addressed in just a couple of minutes on Sunday morning. You will need to come and see a staff member this week and to say, can you pray with me? Can you refer me to a counselor? Maybe you've got an addiction. Maybe you've got a secret in your life that's just weighting you down and you've not told anybody. And you say, I need a touch from the master. Won't you come today and let us pray for you? Won't you come and humble yourself before God and do whatever it is that he's asking you to do, to trust him as Lord and Savior, to maybe publicly profess him and be baptized and be connected to the life of a great church like First Baptist. Or maybe you're a guest today and today's the day that you need to come and unite with a great fellowship like this. We're going to stand to our feet and Andre's going to lead us And I'll ask that as we begin to sing, you step out and step forward and make whatever decision Christ is laying on your heart.